Welcome to the Body Bag Podcast. I'm your host, Broke Rider Dave, and with me as always, Chris Thomas. What's good, everybody? And this week, we are going international as we have our guest all the way from Ireland, Jamie Stewart. Hi. <laughs> How are you doing today there? Uh, what time is it over there in Ireland? It, it, uh, it's uh, let's see, 10 past 7 at night. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. We're just getting the day kind of started over here. Yeah, You're it's... Yeah, yeah and 10 past one here. And am I your first international? Yes, we, I'm going to try to do everything I can not to embarrass America <laughs> in this thing. <laughs> right, yeah. As a little, as a pseudo ambassador kind of-esque right now, I'm going to try to do everything I can to make us come off somewhat like we know what we're talking about over here. But yeah. <laughs> we're not as crazy as, as it looks, I swear. We promise yeah, we're true, not the crazy man. ones, yeah. Well, you're saying that to an Irishman. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. So, Jamie, you sent us an uh, advanced copy of your new book. Yeah. You want to talk about it a little bit? Absolutely. Sure. Love this it. is what, this is uh, coming out in November. Am I correct? November 13th. November 13th. The All I right. hear the clattering of keys. I'm excited for it. Excited to push it for you. Hopefully, help you get some sales here in the States. Fingers crossed. That'd be lovely. So it would be. <laughs> All right. So the very first story in the book is called Dead Air. Yeah. All right. It seems like that story is about loss and mistakes coming back to haunt you. Yeah. How did you come up with that story? Like, what's the process um, for that one? What did you lose? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Nothing that severe. Uh, it's one of those what if questions. Um, the idea came when I was I was leaving the gym and I jumped in my car and the radio, which I don't really use much radio, I was always on Bluetooth for you know, Spotify, was between stations. So you got this really garbled kind of communication going on between two radio stations talking at once. And it was very low volume. And it just got me thinking about long haul truckers and CB radios and what would happen, you know, because it's a very isolated. If you imagine driving down the dark roads at night, you're in your cab, you know, mm-hmm. and it's a wintry yeah. kind of blustery thing. And at the time, I we were living in Scotland and we lived at the very north of Scotland. So there's only road one road that connects um, Inverness where we used to live to the rest of the UK. And up there, it's like Canada. It doesn't really feel like the UK. It's just massive, you know, glens and forests and locks and stuff. So it's very isolated so imagine this guy right it it is beautiful uh it is beautiful i think it's one of the most uh, beautiful parts of the world actually but fortunately don't live there anymore but uh, i just conjured that mind i said what what would happen if a voice spoke to you from the radio a voice you knew that I was someone who had died. And um, that was coupled with an idea I'd always wanted, or I'd recently read a short story by Ray Bradbury called The Emissary. I just started uh, listening to a lot of Ray Bradbury, actually. Uh, what ones are you listening to? What collection are you? It was a collection. It's on YouTube, actually, where he has a lot of his audiobook collections. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last one that I listened to was Cold Night, uh, Cold Call Collect, I, okay. I believe. Uh-huh. Okay. He's got so many. I haven't read that one. It's kind of like what you were talking about hearing the voice of a loved one. This one was all about a man who had been abandoned on a planet for 80 plus years. And then he hears a recording of his younger self talking to him. And he, basically, and he basically drives himself crazy listening to stuff that he recorded like 60 years ago talking to himself 60 years in the future. It's it, It's weird and crazy like Ray Bradbury can do. 
that's the uh, I imagine that's been affected by the isolation. If you never talked to someone in about you know eighty years and the only person is your previous yeah. voice, you get any irritated at him too. Oh yeah, he but, gets uh, pissed at himself. <laughs> <laughs> but the emissary is part of uh, the October Country Collection, and I find each story in that had a particular moment in it where the story would flip. So you would be transported to this sort of idea. The emissary is a very beautiful story. It's about a young boy who can't go outside because um, of illness, and he has a dog that goes out, and because the dog comes back and brings all the sense of the surrounding town he can he's like he's outside and the dog's called the emissary and he also had a teacher who was very lovely to him and kind to him and she unfortunately passed away very young and the end of that story ends in the final sentence the dog has disappeared for some time and finally returns and he returns with the dead body of the former teacher but the dead body is now a zombie or what you're led to believe is a zombie so this beautiful luscious tale with beautiful descriptive language just turns on its head and flips and you get the sort of devastating end and then cut short and I love the idea of that so when I wrote Dead Air, I wanted to have that as sort of flip. So the Dead Air plays with the trope of somebody coming back to sort of teach you a lesson. And, you know, your life's maybe gone a bit away. It's a bit like it's wonderful life. You know, you get an angel and they come and they sort of look, if you do these things, you'll fix yourself. You'll fix and your life will turn around. And that's what the main protagonist, the truck driver, Carl, believes is going to happen. But doesn't uh, and I like I like the idea of inverting that in a way okay very yeah. nice I like that yeah I like that so I hear the clattering of the keys is the main title and also the title of the last story yeah how did you come up with that title and what was the inspiration behind it well the collection is kind of like a kind of like a, an end of an era for me because I started doing self-published stories and on Amazon in 2019, and I'd never written short stories consistently before. I'd always focused on novels. So that year I started to write short stories because every time I published one, people were like, this is fantastic, you know, and they would tell me stuff they didn't like and stuff they did like, and I would try and change my writing style and stuff and develop my storytelling ability to okay. write the next story better. So I was inundated by ideas. I was just sort of struck with sort of inspiration for all these ideas. And I kept hearing the sound when I was like in work or something of a typewriter being hit because I felt like my mind was at such a rush with sort of like, oh, this story goes to that or this idea goes to this thing or this character is going to be in this story. It was kind of like my head was like ready to explode with all this. And I really was begrudging the the time spending away from my laptop writing it, which is in the story. You know, the story of Clattering the Keys is about a young woman who wants to be a writer but work life, love life takes her away from what she wants to do. And she feels like she's stuck in this rut where she wants to do it, but she's not doing it. And she has an Instagram account and she uses it to promote her stuff. But she feels now kind of like a fraud because she's promoting things she doesn't actually write. She'll sit and take a picture and say, I wrote a story today and she didn't. And uh, she encounters this typewriter that gives her this sort of, uh, it sort of affects her in the same way. I was feeling the fact that the sound of the keys are in her head, makes her approach it and makes her, you know, sit down and actually uh, commit herself to the task. But it's, uh, it costs, there's a price with it. Uh, does, does this, does this typewriter exist? Because uh, I don't own I, a typewriter. I, I, I could, I could use that right <laughs> now. Cause I have a hard time sitting down and committing myself yeah. to writing. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't had a typewriter since middle school. I love, I, you know, like, uh, it's based on that. The idea of the, or the description of it is based on Ian Fleming's Royal, which he had a gold one, but it's a, in the story. It's black, but I love the, I love a typewriter. I love how they look. And it was just sort of this idea that I'm going into a job that's, mm-hmm. you know, 37 plus a week. 
uh, hours a week and, you know, I've got a family life and, you know, I've got a married life and all this stuff. And I have all these ideas and they're sitting ready to come out of my head. And I'm frustrated about not being able to write them down. And I'd finished a big novel. I finished like a 400 page novel. And I wanted, that was the first thing that I decided to write was I uh, hear the clattering of keys after it. Cause it just, uh, it was a bit like Stephen King writes novels. And then he, he says, he's got just got enough steam left after writing a big project to do like a short story, a novella. And that kind of was in that position where I was really hyped up and okay. uh, that's what came out. Speaking of which, I took your advice, by the way, and took to starting to write down instead of going on a laptop and typing out these ideas. Yeah, it's a lot it. better. Yeah. Getting your raw ideas down. It's yeah. Uh, a lot better. So. Do you not find that's how you started when you started to write? You you knew you were pen and paper. That's yeah. how you started. And when it, I was in, I started writing when I was in middle school, and that's all I had. I would do it during class, and that's all I had was a pen and paper. Yeah, yeah. and there's something raw about that. There's something sort of you can't edit. You know, laptop makes you sort of go back and read over what you've just written, and then the edit button comes in, and you may be written only 500 words, but if you do it hand handwritten, you find there's about 2,000 words just come out because it's just sort of you flow. It is easy to capture. Plus, when you go back and look and you see page after page and after page and you see little sub notes and things crossed out, you get that feeling like, wow, some real work went into this. Look at all the stuff they, they the little yeah. mini notes that they right. put. Yeah. Dave, if you don't mind, can I have a question that kind of bounces off of what you asked? Yeah, go for it. So, you know, Haley and you know Spencer that we had on the show earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Haley, her books delved into psychology, specifically children's psychology and serial killer psychology. And Spencer, talked about uh, his past depression and how that influenced his writing, as well as fear of the unknown, which played a big part in his writing. Mm -hmm. Um, Is there a common theme that you find yourself drawn to when you write your stories? Something that you continually revisit, whether intentionally or not? Uh, Technology sucks. (laughs) (laughs) I I can agree with that. Yeah, I don't I don't intend to be that way. Because I very much use technology as much as anyone else, yeah. but I just find there's a common. It's not intentional, and it's certainly not on the top of the stories. The stories, the main theme of them, is not about it. But I find a lot of people, or a lot of the stories, have sort of we sort of irksome kind of takes on the digital age and the fact that we're all connected and all this stuff, and it, and there's something missing. I, I'm I grew up. I'm 31 years old. I grew up as maybe one of the last generations that didn't have a phone permanently glued into their hand. Mm-hmm. So I know yeah. what it was like. Like to have a childhood without that I just find I'm just curious I'm very interested in seeing the effect of you know when video games came out back in the 80s and stuff not everyone could afford them and things like that so it wasn't something you can measure but this is all consuming this is you know our mobile phones and you know internet has consumed our culture so I'm interested to see how it has effect you know I'm someone who still collects vinyl and someone who still listens to CDs and a CD mm-hmm. player you know so, and I think there's a lot of valuable time something valuable about spending the time just doing one thing you know going to the cinema not going on your phone listen to a record listen to it from the end to the uh, from the beginning to the end not having any other distractions not trying to balance your you know bank account or do some insurance or something or look up some supermodel on your phone at the same time i think it takes a lot of weight off your mind existing in one sort of universe and um and that's it so i find there's a lot of that in my writing unintentionally it does feel like <laughs> yeah. with technology we take a step forward but then 
two steps two back steps. socially. Yeah, yeah. definitely agree I, with that one. We use the CDs. I remember back when having a portable CD player was like the pinnacle yeah. of having like, yeah. I, I felt like, yeah. so not sophisticated, but advanced. I was like this, there is no way that technology is going to get better than this. Yes. <laughs> no, I was there too. I, I had yeah. one too. I actually went on a school trip to France with all my CD collection in a backpack. No mm-hmm. clothes. Just yeah. the CD collection. And you have to risk you have to risk like it skipping every time that you hit a bump or if you yeah. turn it the wrong way. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. But then because of that, you know, like I got into the Red Hot Chili Peppers by the way album, but I got into like one song. But because I had the only thing to do was listen to that one CD again and again, I ended up getting into the rest of the uh, the songs, you know. So there was no there's not the need for this instant hit, you know, that we have yeah. now where you've got it's just a single. There's no point in releasing an album basically all filler because nobody tries on them because nobody listens anymore um but i contend that you there you know music is not something that you it immediately sparks you know not everything immediately sparks with you sometimes a song takes a bit of time to um you for a bit of time for yourself to appreciate uh, and that's what that old technology afforded you to do now we just sort of if we don't like something we skip over it and maybe yeah. that something could have made you know mean meant something to us if we'd taken the time so this actually leads into one of the questions i have because in mm-hmm. the beach house you mentioned singing mr brightside by the killers <laughs> yeah great song by great the way song. Like, like, song. What, what type of music do you listen to and like how's it influence your writing uh everything i used to listen to writing or listen used to listen to music a lot when i when i wrote but i don't do that anymore I prefer silence but no it's a uh, it's massive influence on me bob dylan uh i encountered bob dylan 18 and the fact that you know his lyrical ability was a big effect on my writing because it made me want to try to incorporate that in you know the way he writes songs he pictures them you can just picture everything he's saying so it sort of um, made me elevate what songwriting could be. So I very much think it's connected to storytelling. I like that. The trick I tried to do with the Beach House was write a story as short as I could with the most effect as I could. And putting a song like that, you're just instantly taken back to that time period. Yeah. So one of the last questions I have for you is, who inspired you to get into the horror genre? No one. Um, Are you just drawn to it? Well, I started writing before I started reading, and the stories I just started writing were scary ones. I was a big fan of the Resident Evil franchise, the game franchise. Oh, yeah. uh, my friend had yeah. a copy of a couple of the games, and we would play them. And he had also a big stack of Goosebumps books on his uh. bookshelf, and he never read them. He, he's a collector, but he's like not a hoarder, but he's one of those ones that would collect figurines and never take them out of the box. You know, he would never. Yeah, well, you, you can't, it'll, it'll lose its collector's value if you take it out exactly. of the box. Yeah. But so he had all these pristine Goosebumps books uh, on the shelf and I would maybe take one down and read it. And I would become enthralled with the idea that, you know, because at the time, maybe it was eight or nine, everything I'd seen was, you know, adults. Mm-hmm. you know and cinema and stuff like that and there's adult yeah. stories and things but the idea that you know dracula could haunt a 12 year old or 11 year old or you know you know you could run uh, find you know the zombies overtaking your time and stuff and you are responsible with the, um taking care of it and you're whatever age yeah. that intrigued me so that's where i started to write was because i could say i could put my friends into my own stories and that's what kicked it off really and okay. just as a side question did you have a favorite goosebumps book story i get the title wrong uh, it's based on the body snatchers. 
but I think it's body squashers or something like that. Body squashers. <laughs> okay, yeah. I was always into the choose your own adventure ones. Yes, Lovely they games. were good too. They were great too. That was so that was so yeah. clever an idea. I love the whole idea, which is actually something we're going to talk about tonight with Shaun of the Dead, because the world's end is very much like um invasion of the body snatchers, in that you go back to a place you know and everyone is slightly different and slightly yeah. weird. That one I saw was the only no, I saw Hot Fuzz in theaters too, but I remember seeing at World's End and it especially the ending really hit me in the feels in a kind of way yeah when simon yeah. Pegg was having his breakdown at the end it, oh it, yeah that yeah. we'll, we'll talk about it then but that made me feel uh emotional <laughs> yeah. too because i could totally relate to what he but we'll talk about that when it comes time yeah, yeah. but that I, I always loved that trope of the idea of like if people you know in your life you know your neighbors your friends and stuff then there's something off about them there's something different and it's due to the supernatural thing and they're not quite evil they're not quite you know murderous but they're just something off and i find that very attractive so and um i've always wanted to write a story sort of like that but until this day i haven't wrote one good enough for me to release but hopefully someday there's still time yeah you still yeah. got time unless the zombie apocalypse happens tomorrow so. yeah yeah well we're prepared for that played enough video games to prepare for that oh yeah <laughs> there you go are they going my way now dave yep you're up all right so you're not only an author but you were also co-editor for welcome to the fun house yes can you tell me what it was like being a co-editor or what goes into being a co-editor for that was a core collection yeah uh yeah that was an amazing experience um worked i was co-editor with kelly brocklehurst who's uh lovely and uh, we have very similar ideas about what we wanted it, it came about completely out of the blue we were in contact with um nick harper who you know has come out now as being jay alexander that's his real name and um he was sort of i don't know what to do for a summer an- anthology because the summer is kind of how do you find a theme? You know, um, we could go for like campground horror and me and Kelly, I, my novel that I was talking about there is actually a carnival novel. So I'd come off that and I said, what about carnivals for, you know, a summer story sort of thing. And Kelly had an idea for one, a short story that she was working on. And we just had the same thing at the same time and sent the same message into him at once because group chat. And we didn't do it in such a way that we were like, we're going to run this thing we did it because i had another wee short story that i've been thinking about for years that i'd love to write which became no strings which is in the collection and i just wanted the sort of somebody to give me the kick in the butt to actually sit me down in the seat and write the story that i'd had for years it was one of those things where like sounds really good in my head but i have not yet to commit it to paper so nick said look i'm busy why don't you if you two are fine working together you know run it so we did and uh it was absolutely brilliant experience you learn a lot from it because you're on the other side of the glass you know you're having to turn good stories down and brilliant stories down and um, as someone who's you know had his fair share of rejections it was quite eye-opening so it was uh in terms of sort of just because you get a rejection does not mean your story is bad or that your story is poorly written or anything and we tried to you know reach out to those authors and we reached out to many of them just tell them that you know it just didn't fit with our collection and that was a great learning experience for myself that was kind of going to go into another question i was going to ask is how do you give that kind of criticism to an author because yeah. one of the things i hate having to judge other people's works because i know yeah. how hard it is to yeah. complete something mm-hmm. so do you give them feedback or do you just say this isn't what we're looking for how do you give 
we tried to give feedback, but we got close to 100 submissions. You know, you can only have long. so many. I can understand that. Yeah, it's it's the time. You know, we had we had a set date that this had to be done for before the publication date. We had to be finished with our stuff before Jay could take over and do his final kind of read through of it all and make sure it was fine and get the you know the cover done and stuff. So we couldn't obviously tell everyone an in depth kind of analysis of their short story. Sometimes you know. Just the story doesn't work uh, for you. Might might work for yourself. Might work for you. Know, it just doesn't, you know. But that's fine. We're the ones picking them. So and we kind of went at the um, collection like making an album in that mm. we wanted the stories to kind of flow not all in the way that they would all be similar but the way the album has dips and rises and you know it has an a side and a b side so we kind of wanted um, the reader to go on a certain journey that would have moments of heartfelt emotion moments of tenderness moments of humor moments of very dark spookiness and creepiness and even some gruesomeness we wanted all of those things so you're trying to hit all those bases and when you get a really really great story like for example um Spencer Hamilton's you know story which is at the end like when we got that we're like that's the end story that's the uh, that's the perfect story for an ending because it's such finality and that own story within itself mm-hmm. so it worked very well for our collection to have it be at the end and our stories were never our stories were up for grabs you know if we hadn't written good enough Jay was going to tell us it's not in it so we had to work it was quite stressful in that for writing our own stuff and it was quite stressful telling someone no as it always is but we tried to say to many of them like there's nothing wrong with your story it's just it's not what we're looking for now and I, that can be kind of seen as like bland but it really is the case and I think we were very friendly like, um, it's really strange a lot of the people that we turned down I end up actually becoming very friendly with afterwards mm-hmm. so uh, like Thomas Gloom and Michael Goodwin uh, I think I rejected those they, those the stories that they had submitted uh, or we rejected them uh, but I'm best friends with them now and uh hey, gloom is actually our guest next ne- week yeah next oh, week we got him on yeah what is he talking about uh i just got a message i will be doing uh john carpenter's halloween oh we're doing the halloween right. it was yeah, gonna be okay. between that and the fog yeah he loves that one we keep tiptoeing so, around the fog. This is the second time we've had the fog kind of mentioned. I, uh, I might have that as my own pick at some point because that's a really good movie. That's a fun yeah. movie. I haven't seen the fog, no. It's pretty I good. Haven't been, it, I haven't seen it either. So it's mist esque. It's about a fog that comes in and there's creatures in the in the mist or in the fog. So you've done not only novels but anthology series. Mm. Do you find it easier to finish a big project like a novel or to? No. Oh, I was going to say, or to get a bunch of smaller stories out. Oh, uh, well, smaller stories, smaller stories on their own are delightful and fun. Uh, but to, to complete an anthology, do you, well, do you give yourself like, I'm going to write X amount of stories in this amount of time to complete this anthology? Or do you just write and then go, all right, that seems like enough? Um, yeah, I, I certainly do. Like, um, I've got an idea. I've got 10 handwritten, 12 handwritten stories for my next collection, which I hope to release two years from now. And I already have a title permanently set in my mind. So it's going to be called Something Wicked, Something Dark. Something Wicked, okay. Something Dark. Yeah. I like that. Ah, okay. My titles uh, always seem so pretentious. I always have like those one word titles. I can't, <laughs> it just seems very yeah. pretentious to me. Like, wow, that sounds so deep. Yeah. It's just the one titled word. I would love to be able to do that. I find my, my like, I hear the clattering of the keys and other fever dreams. It's such a long. <laughs> I like, I would prefer to have a longer title in my head. I, for, I don't know. For just some reason, it's like one word just comes to mind, but it just seems like 
I don't know. Yeah, it answers a question. You don't really know until the stories are done because like I had, there was two stories in 2019 that were started and I just petered out. They just, I, they weren't good. And I just threw them to the wayside. And, you know, but if I had written them, I would probably have been thinking about putting them in the, in the collection that's currently coming out. But I wanted the, the current one to be kind of not slight. It's seven stories, which is not a big number, but some of them are very long. If you've read them yourself, I think The Woman Under the White Tree is 16,000 words, which I think 4,000 words novella. So it is. So, um, yeah, I tend to, my short stories don't tend to be very short. They tend to, because I like the idea of giving a reader a journey. Like I, my, my primary interest is character and I want each character to stand out and I want you to go on a journey with a character. And normally that takes a little bit more than just sort of like a slasher kind of, you know, the, the kind of action scenes, action beats that you would get. So it does. So I like to build up characters and get you sort of familiarizing with them as a reader and empathizing with them. And then I want to turn the world on my head. That's all the questions I have for you, I, but I'm sure I'll stay in touch because right now I'm in the middle of Insular. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I, I really enjoyed that one. No spoilers. I just, I'm about a third of the way through it. So yeah, it's really good. Uh, Thank you, I, I tend to jump around because that's why I love short story anthologies. I can read them in no yeah. particular order. Yeah. And usually I end up reading the first one last or somewhere near last. So I'll probably end up reading. I hear the clattering of the keys next after insular and then eventually make my way to dead air, which it was dead air. The first one. Yeah. Dead air first, yeah. I think it's dead air and then trick or treat. So those will probably be my last ones, but it's really nice to hear David, that you like insular because that is the oldest one and it was written in, yeah. in 2014 and it has not changed in any way since really? it was written. It was the story that started me writing short stories. So these stories were years in the making. Yeah, it was written, Insular was written in two months in 2014. I was writing a novel at the time and I was really annoyed with it. And I got this idea when I was reaching for, uh, I used to do the job that the main character in Insular does, which is working home shopping. And I was reaching for a, a carton of milk to put into someone's shopping basket that we would eventually deliver to the house. And I thought, what happens if, you know, I'm probably on security camera right now, but what happened if the security guard looking through the security system could see through me? And that just started it off. It was the, the idea of sort of like a modern ghost story uh, set in a supermarket, which I really liked. And uh, it consumed me. And I'd been reading um, a lot of fiction at the time that was first person. And I love the quality of the language that first person gives you because you're sort of connected to the character really quickly because you're inside his head and it's like they're speaking to you. So I really wanted to explore that. So I did. And uh, yeah, and uh, so it's great to hear that you liked it because uh, it's all. Yeah, I'm liking it so far as well. So yeah. I'm looking for, I'm going to finish it up after we're finished recording. But before we move on to our movie review, is there anything else that you would want to say in regards to your work and possibly just tell the people where they can find you and maybe where they can pick up your books? No problem. So uh, my book, my first collection is coming out on November 13th. Uh, it'll be available from the Blood Rights Horror website as they are publishing it and also on Amazon. Uh, I have another self-published novel called Mr. Jones on Amazon as well, which is not a horror novel. It's a coming of age novel set in Northern Ireland. And uh, people can find me on Instagram at jamie.stuart.33. 
So they can. I don't have a website. I don't believe in websites at the moment in time because I feel like there's so many indie authors, there's so many authors in general, there's so many websites, newsletter, newsletters, and all these things. I feel like I nobody has the time to actually involve themselves in them. So I just have my Instagram and I promote myself through that, uh, and that's it. And I seem to be okay. <laughs> that's that's so right. I told. I think it was a month ago that I said I was going to start working on our website, Dave, and I haven't touched it since. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, eventually so, we'll get there at some point. I, I, I'm, I'm technical. I'm. A, I'm a big tap the thought of doing I'm a that. very old fashioned kind of like do stuff the old way kind of person. My laptop right now is sitting on a record player right now. So oh, nice. <laughs> but anyway, it was a pleasure promoting this book and thank you for giving me the time to or taking oh, the time to read it and oh, it was a joy to read. Yeah, I enjoyed it. <laughs> good, good. So I guess it's safe to say that you're a Edgar Wright fan there, Jamie. I can see you yes. jumping for glee over there. <laughs> well, uh, as much as it was fun talking about my books, I'm here to talk about Edgar Wright. And so there's no real you. need for me to ask, because every every week I ask, so what made you choose? I don't think I need to ask you. You are obviously an Edgar Wright fan and a Shaun of the Dead fan. He's, uh, I would say he's my favorite director, yeah. I would. Uh, he's a good pick. Yeah. yeah. Have you seen uh, Last Night in Soho yet? No, just out today. Going to go see it on Tuesday. Over here. Uh, I thought you were going to say, so if we could get this interview hurried up and finished, I, I want to go ahead and go see it, please. But I know Jeff, I know uh, Glenn Wolf is seeing it right now because he put it on his Instagram that he's got a cinema ticket and I was I, I sent him a message saying I hate you. <laughs> that's another there reason why yeah. I, that's another reason to hate technology is that it gives spoilers no matter where you go. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. It was, it's so hard to avoid. You sort of have to watch them now, like any Avengers film or a Marvel film. I like the Marvel series. You have to watch it in the day because you're inundated with leaks. Mm-hmm. You know? So I'm going to give you a choice here because the way we're starting to do it now is we're just going to go through the movie bit by bit and talk about it. Instead of giving mm-hmm. a quick synopsis, we'll just start talking about it. And then as the movie progresses. So seeing as you, how you're a fan, would you like to get us kicked off and start talking about what the movie is and how it's and how it starts? And we'll just start commenting on it as the story progresses. Well, I can take you to the very beginning. Uh, the Universal logo starts and the soundtrack in the background is the same thing, I think, than used from one of the Romero films, which is a hint back to the inspiration that caused the film in the first place. So already we're just, yeah. the movie starts out with a, a reference and an homage already. Yeah, and it, I find it quite creepy. When that, it was, it, it, yeah. That's why I said this movie should be called Callback, the movie, just because yeah. there's so many callbacks. Like in within the movie itself, you'll see the same joke like yeah. an hour later into the movie, like, oh, they mentioned that, like... 50 minutes ago yeah yeah like the morning scene where he walks and gets his diet coke oh that i love yeah. long tracking shots right yeah. Yeah. so we start off with uh sean and his girlfriend at the bar yeah and his sort of sterile kind of look into the camera you know and it sort of which is really funny because the whole send up the film is that we're te- we've already turned into zombies and it's really not it's before the stage where we've already mentioned technology, where technology has actually turned us into zombies, where, you know, you're sitting looking at this beautiful sunset or you're at a beautiful sunset or something like that, but you're on your phone, you know? <laughs> um, that, that was definitely the a, a theme throughout the thing of pe- yeah. the re- who are the real zombies? They're actually right. the people. Yeah. I, is, straight away, you know, you're not getting the regular sort of film you would expect to see. I, you know, I was intrigued by this film, by the trailer, yeah. by the five second trailer that showed you the car the red Renault reversing up 
the window opens and he says, are you okay? And it's the lion, the dead man on the ground and he, the dead man moves and it's a zombie and you're like, oh, thank God for that. And they drive <laughs> off. You know, that's, yeah. that's why I wanted to watch this film. And I took my dad to see it and um, I was 14 and that was the kind of unusual thing about Shaun of the Dead. Was it, Shaun of the Dead was the first film I recommended to him mm. because he always recommended yeah. things to me. And, okay. uh, and he turned to me about 10 minutes into this film with all the swearing uh, and said, what the fuck have you taken me to? <laughs> <laughs> this, I remember when the commercials came out for this in 2000, what was it, 2004? Yeah. yeah. And I remember the commercials coming up and thinking to myself the exact same thing. I was like, I've never seen a comedy like this before, or the way this mm-hmm. is advertised. I said, it looks hilarious, but uh, there's something different about this. There, and yeah. I think this was actually the first like rated R British like movie that I remember seeing. Cause I, I think the most I had seen, cause I would have been like 12 or 13 by, uh, at that point. So my mm-hmm. experience with movies from like the UK would have probably been Harry Potter, Darby O'Gill and, uh, <laughs> and uh, the borrowers. So yeah. I think this is my Classic first film. UK film I've seen was Shaun of the Dead. Really? Yeah. Really? But that's a good one to start off in. It's all low because I'm not a big Harry Potter fan, so I never watched any of well, those. Well, Sorcerer's so. Stone just came out like like a year or two it, before this. It's yeah. weird the way you're saying, you know, English film, British film, because, you know, they were Warner Brothers productions. You yeah. know, they were a big American. They just had a British cast. But, you know, which I find very funny. <laughs> uh, but then I started getting more into, like, then I learned who, like, Danny Boyle was. And yeah. I And then 28 Days Later. And, yeah. And, well, maybe not British films, but films set in the UK is what I should have yeah. said. Well, this sort of film, you know, a zombie comedy, sort of zombie romantic comedy, kicked off a kind of genre that didn't really exist. I mean, everything, zombie theater, the, the zombie sort of thing was uh, was coming back with 28 days later and dawn of the dead had been released but they were very very serious and the zombie part of Shaun of the dead is serious mm-hmm. but the humor comes from the fact that it's two guys that are complete slacker slackers and stoners like it, for much of it is it is a slacker comedy in the same way that kevin smith's you know, clerks is because the characters in it are not You're right they are uh, kind of similar like that yeah i never put you know, that together yeah they're not like muscle men that have like an arsenal weapons it's not arnold schwarzenegger taking on the arm you know the zombie apocalypse it's your guy who's got a stoner friend he lives in his apartment and he wants to be a stoner who and his aspirations in life is just to be at the pub having a drink one is short and stocky and the other one is like tall and lanky yeah yeah yeah, they're not your regular sort of heroes, but they are your everyday people. And uh, and that's the interesting thing about it is their reactions to it. Like, we're not saying the Z word. <laughs> <laughs> because it's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so, so just keeping along with the story, Sean and his girlfriend just uh, breaks up because he can't get his... Well, no, breakup comes later. They're on the verge of a breakup at this point. Yes. Yeah. But she's tired of being at the bar, at the pub every day. With, yes. with uh yeah. with his friend Ed, but she also brought her two friends. Um, I, f- I forget her her the girl's name that was her friend. Oh, uh, David and Diane. Yeah, yeah. Diane dudes. and David, who's a complete mm-hmm. twat and <laughs> ruins my name. Yeah, <laughs> nobody likes David. Soils my good name. He goes to his regular nine to five job, which is an appliance at an appliance store. Yes. And his at this point, at this point, let's let's go ahead and and, and talk about what he needs to get in his life together. His can't make time for his girlfriend. He refuses to tell his best friend, Nick, while 
Nick is a good, or Nick, sorry, his, his, Nick Frost is the actor. I always call them by their actor names. Ed. Yeah. Uh, Ed. His best friend mm-hmm. Ed is a slacker, and everybody thinks that he's holding him back, which in retro, he kind of is because, yeah. well, well, it's not necessarily his friend is holding him back. It's just that Sean refuses to. He's committed to him in a certain degree, and he doesn't realize that it's kind of toxic. In a way, it's not really Ned holding him back. It's Sean holding himself back for not setting boundaries where he needs to. Yeah. yeah, but the interesting thing about the film is if you jump to the ending, which won't, I'm not going to spoil it, but nothing much changes, you know. That's what I loved about it is that yeah. at the very end, there's no there's no real happy ending. And <laughs> the ending is kind of like, it, I don't know how to feel about this. Yeah, in some ways, it's just that his character is called Liz sort of, sort of has an appreciation for him because she's aware that he can do these things, but he doesn't necessarily do them all the time, mm-hmm. you know? But he, can't can't rise to it's, he has that thing where everybody can see the potential, but he can't really see it in himself. Yeah. And he has a lot of a lot of issues with his mom and his stepdad. Oh, his yeah. his stepdad played by Bill Nye, which I loved Bill Nye in this. Bill Nye is incredible. And that's the first time I've ever encountered Bill Nye. And it was also the first time I've ever encountered like Ed's character is so rough. Like the first line of his of his appearance in the film is just so rough and it just sort of catches you that this is you know on you know this is is this even funny to laugh at because it's so i remember being 13 and finding him hilarious and then i was re-watching it again last night and i was like he's not as funny with the farting and the and and the just obscenities when they're on a date kind of thing. no yeah. it's just sort of immature and he's at a certain level that he never grew up at yeah. and it's a brilliant sort of like there's a wee bit of shaved hair on the side of his face where he like mm-hmm. tried to shave his head and then didn't go through with it and apparently that was intentional he did it himself uh, <laughs> Nick Frost did that to himself I love this film I think it's a brilliant film it's also it's, it's slacker but it's also kind of nerdy so the two characters Simon and Nick have that sort of or Sean and uh, Ed have that yeah. sort of nerdy feel pop culture reference you know they're sitting playing video games <laughs> yeah if, if I ever write a comedy I want to write something at least half as funny as that record throwing scene yeah <laughs> that was great. when they're going through the records like the Batman soundtrack throw it Prince oh. no yeah. definitely not <laughs> yeah purple rain I like it <laughs> I like it. Oh, sh- what was it? Sade or something? Sade. Like, yeah. Liz. Yeah, she did dump you. <laughs> she did dump yeah. you. Long. All right, so we don't want to give. That's what I was going to say at the very beginning. Because I, I want to go through. I want to go through all of this yeah. movie. But mm-hmm. at the same time, I don't want to give spoilers because it's such a great movie. And I don't want to risk people not going to see it. But I'll t- the long story of it, or the long story of like the short I feel like if they haven't it, seen it yet, like it's 17 years old. So yeah. the, everyone should have probably seen it already. So yeah. we'll talk spoilers, but the, the, the general synopsis is that the zombies come. They go to the Winchester, which is the bar that yeah. they've always gone to like every single night, which Liz hates at this point, yeah. because I'm sure the, the Winchester is a very much a metaphor of basically where people go to die. Yeah, they go to vegetate. Quite, quite literally, yeah. that's where the dead go. Yeah. And and that's where the, a lot of the main characters get offed. Can Sean save his family yeah, and yeah, everybody yeah. and, and be the, the hero the big question. i love the um, part when they're on their way to the winchesters and they run into the other group i'm like what's your yeah, plan we're well, going to the winchester 
and oh, they're uh, oh good luck oh man yeah they actually have a legitimate plan it's like this the idea of like they've run into another movie and the movie yeah. actually is is not with, is without comedy so they're taking it seriously and they're like <laughs> yeah. we're doing this properly we're going to survive this yeah. and we're just heading to the pub to have a couple of pints and you know a toasty out back but no it, it sets it up from the beginning because there's so, sort of heavy over ta- tones the beginning at the bar where he has a discussion with his girlfriend where they're on verge of breaking up and he sort of yeah. pulls it back there's the emphasis of ghost town music which is music in the background for the specials and there's all this sort of like next time I see there's a kid in the street that kicks a football at him and he says you're dead <laughs> I mean now that's funny because that line in a regular like if it was a regular horror movie a generic zombie movie I hate lines like that because it's like oh okay yes the obvious foreshadowing yes you're mm-hmm. dead they're gonna be zombies but this is a comedy I imagine it was making fun of that I also love how he had like the kind of like the Halloween thing where he sees a zombie before anything happens and like all yeah. the buses go by and then the zombie's gone yes I, I uh, yeah. eat the bird and and there's yeah. people falling down and sort of like and it's very sort of it's interesting to watch out you know obviously we watched it recently but yeah watch it in the face of the pandemic and you know everyone's mm-hmm. on buses and everyone's coughing in it and you're just kind of thinking <laughs> we were so naive back then <laughs> Right. Yeah, and yeah. I like looking at these movies with a more critical eye now. Like mm. that, you yeah. notice things that you don't. Even to the characters, when they when they uh, ran into that other group, I didn't know that that was Martin Freeman in the in the group. Yeah, uh, that was playing yeah. his friend's boy, the counterpart to Liz. I think everyone in that group, apart from Matt Lucas at the end, is in a lot of the other stuff. The other, yeah. you know, it's like Spaced and and World's End and uh, Hot Fuzz. They're all sort of regulars that come back. Uh, which is quite fun. So it is. No, so it's a great film. Um, I lo- love that track. You get the two tracking shots that we've mm-hmm. already mentioned, but Sean goes out. It shows you the sort of zombification of his life where he trips over the same thing and doesn't notice anyone about himself, gets a drink from the from To the, the point thing. where the actual apocalypse is happening around him and he just doesn't realize it. Doesn't, yeah. yeah. And, the, uh, and he does it hungover the next day, which is supposed to the reason why we're supposed to believe he doesn't notice is that there's people lying on the street dead and there's zombies and there's bloody hand pits, prints on the glass and stuff. Did you think about that after after watching that? Do you, did you think, what do I do like unconsciously that I'm not even aware that I do that same thing like every single time? That if, that's if a, one thing were to right. change, it would just yeah. like throw me off balance. Right. That's the unique thing about Shaun of the Dead. I think, you know, Dawn of the Dead, 28 Days Later, they're big action films have come out recent, in the recent times of this, but they're, you know, they're big blockbusters. But Shaun of the Dead put zombies right at your home and the, the assessment that these two characters are kind of just sort of everyday people you can kind of recognize and maybe you're not those people but you have impulses you'd love to spend all day off playing video games and uh it sort of made you sort of imagine especially you know when i was a teenager when i first came upon the film what would i do in the face of a zombie apocalypse where would it go you know who <laughs> it would, would I probably it would probably work out just as well like I, I can save everybody and then literally everybody who you're trying to save ends up dying because you couldn't keep it all together yeah, yeah. And even when like, so they do the whole tracking shot of him coming back into the house uh, and they, he still doesn't recognize anything. And then there's a girl in the garden. And again, girl in the garden. Yeah. Girl in the garden. And it's, even when they're face to face with this person who's, you know, um, zombified, they, they think, just think she's still drunk. Because that's what they associate themselves with being, and it, it probably doesn't work now. I do. I would love to see someone who, you know, like a younger person who, because the joke that they make with the Kodak camera, mm-hmm. which you have to wind up to take a picture of, mm-hmm. I would love to see if that joke makes any sense to someone now because oh, they take a picture of. Uh, they would probably pull their phone out. It would probably yeah. wouldn't be pulling the phone out. Like, yeah. um, quick question: So, mm-hmm. how much time passes? 
in your opinion, uh, before your ex is on their own in a zombie apocalypse, how much how much time after a breakup would you like be like, all right, they're on their own? <laughs> like, uh, you know, I know oh, we just you, broke you up. You wouldn't go time. after them, in other words. No, you, you wouldn't, wouldn't go after them. That you'd be like, because they did just break up. They broke up, but they broke how much up time has to pass before you're like, all right, you know what? We had our we we were together, but you know that was such and such time ago. They they they're they're on their own. I can't I can't go <laughs> after them. <laughs> I don't know, a week? A week. Oh, you know, and I just realized from the moment that they broke up mm-hmm. to the to the very end of the movie, that all took place in 24 hours. Yeah. yeah. I, didn't, I didn't realize until I was watching, I was like, because it feels like it happened over the course of a couple of days from the breakup until that, but no, him breaking up and the zombie apocalypse happening and, happening and then everything that happens was all in 24 hours. Yeah. yeah. But because it works on the, on the level of a rom-com, it just happens to have zombies in it. Their breakup, you're ultimately in the wrong comms team. You're expecting him to eventually do something to prove himself of worth, you know, to get her back. So it makes sense that, oh, I'm just going to prove myself of worth by surviving the zombie apocalypse with you. That's just sort of the way. So, <laughs> yeah. if, so if your relationship is on the outs, just waiting for uh, wait for the apocalypse to happen. And it does wonders for your relationship. Well, yeah. yes. Well, we had the pandemic and we were all forced to live with each other. And maybe some people didn't survive that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. If anything, <laughs> people got more sick of each other than anything like, yeah yeah well that is the thing like if you were holed up in a pub with people and you're constantly drinking pints and eating peanuts you'd eventually get tired of people <laughs> sounds yeah. sounds nice in theory but yeah. Yeah, three wise, two or three really over yeah the name of winchester i i periodically go visit my sister mm-hmm. who lives lives further up north and to get there i have to pass by an exit called winchester and that's always been a joke between me and her because we love Shaun of the dead and every time we pass we go to the winchester <laughs> have you have either of you used to read uh, the autobiographies by Sean of the Peg, uh, Sean Peg, or Simon, Simon. Peg, uh, or Nick Frost. No, I didn't know they no. had one. They have they both have separate ones, and they have an interesting thing. It just takes up to the sort of time where they get famous. And there's an interesting sort of thing about the Sean of the Dead film is that they were living the life of Sean and Ed back then, and they were sort of afraid that that would just keep going, that they would just become Sean and Ed and just stay every night in the same pub. Was this part their, of their first fear. movie? This was their first movie. They I had a. So. They had a TV show before that called Spaced with Edgar Wright, uh, which I had watched, but I never at the time thought that they were connected to each other. And Spaced has a zombie episode, and so it does. I'd highly recommend watching it. So it's the whole thing is fantastic. It's only like it's a British TV show, so it's only like seven episodes each season. There's only two seasons. Since we're diving um, into Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg and Nick Frost in general, we have to talk a little bit about Hot Fuzz and At World's End a little bit now. Yeah, well, yeah, I'd love to. Everyone says, well, I think the majority think Hot Fuzz is the is the best out of the three. I don't know. I I got the most feel from At World's End, in all honesty. I, I like Hot Fuzz the most. Yeah. I have most fun with Shaun of the Dead, but I think that I felt the most in At World's End because mm-hmm. I very much identify with when Simon Pegg was at the end and he was at the world's end and he was pouring his last pint because the movie is about a group of friends who got together who never got to finish this pub crawl of mm-hmm. having a drink at each of the bars that lead up to the world's end pub mm-hmm. and they get back together when they're older Simon Pegg is kind of like Ed from Shaun of the Dead and that he never really grew up. Yeah. And and he feels at the end like this is the only thing he has left in his life because he never really made anything of himself and that that was the best time of his life and that yeah. 
and he was holding on to a time in his life that had long passed and he felt like he had nothing else else to live for and when he broke down i I was i was like i was halfway about to cry i was like man that's really sad because i get that I've said to my friends, because that film's become a, a drink movie with us, we, you know, we'd watch it while drinking, yeah. which is not the emphasis of the film, despite the fact that a lot of drinking <laughs> happened in it. And uh, I said to them many times that that's his Oscar winning performance. I think Sean, uh, uh, Simon Pegg doing Gary King is his best performance, and it's phenomenal. And the only thing it's probably overlooked is because it's a comedy performance, but... Mm-hmm. It's so, the emotions are so, I connect with them so powerfully. I think, you know, what you're saying is right. He's a person that's trapped. He lived this high life in high school. And then the moment high school ends and reality kicks in and he has to be an adult. He's like, the reality of the world comes upon him and realizes that it's not going to be as cushy as the sort of bubble that is high school. And I really connected with that and uh, as a person. So I find that's why I connect to a lot because I'm the type of person that used to be someone who was very much locked in on the, the nostalgia of what it was like being in high school with my friends and, and thankfully met my wife and uh, do no longer think that way. Mm-hmm. Um, there are better things to be had every day. But um, I think we all kind of feel like that at some point, but you right. eventually grow out of it. Well, yeah, you ha- yeah. well, you kind of have to, to like be a functioning yeah, member of society. <laughs> but, but Gary doesn't. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's and, not and functioning. To the point where Nick Frost's character is like having to try to drag him away. It, it, it's what he said when he was grabbing Nick or when he was grabbing Simon Pegg's character and you hear Simon Pegg yelling, I need this. I need this. Yeah. I've got nothing else. I've got nothing else. I need yeah. this. I was, I was like, that, oh, that, God, that, that hits me hard. Right. Um, and it, so it's a great film. I I, I think it, it's um it's a perfect cap off to the trilogy, and uh, yeah. I, I think it's it's got a lot of the feels. But I can understand why it's perhaps not perceived as funny because the beginning of the film doesn't have as many jokes as say, Hot Fuzz Dogs, which which is, has like a joke a minute. There's you know. Uh, and I love Hot Fuzz too. I think all three films are in my top 10 films he, of all time. Edgar Wright has a great way of blending comedy and seriousness because there'll be moments where you're yeah. laughing your ass off, but then in Shaun of the Dead too, where it gets serious and you're like, wow, this, I mean, where we're laughing just a second ago, but you know, these, that's another reason why you like these characters is because they can be funny, but relatable. And you can understand when they feel sad, you could feel sad when he has yeah. to, when he had, when they give him the gun and his mom and he sees yeah. his mom is infected. And yeah. oh, that was rough. It's, it's really rough. And it yeah. sort of surprises you that it's in this film yeah. and it's a testament to the actors as well, that they can get, yeah. do these performances, but it hits really hard and it hits every time Sean, uh, the death of Sean's mom. And so it does. Yeah. Yeah. It's, so it's, that's kind of the thing. It's like, it's not a, it's a comedy certainly is, but it's not a parody. It, it, it doesn't, it's not silly. It takes itself seriously. So it, it takes the emotions of its character seriously, which is always something I liked about it. And it's always something that made that stand out amongst the other films that came out afterwards that were kind of like oh we'll just throw you know werewolves and a bit of comedy and and everyone will watch it because it's like Shaun of the Dead but no other film has come close to what those three have done I'm glad that it remained a trilogy Mm -hmm. and I'd rather uh, something good stay like a trilogy rather than becoming an ongoing thing that just gets too repetitive and too tiresome I do think they're going to do something together again but I don't think it will be in the confines of you know they have to have the Cornetto joke they have to have the jump over the fence joke and they have to that's what i mean like that 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 trilogy is a great you know trilogy all on its own i I mean i don't mind i certainly don't mind edgar Wright, nick frost and simon pegg teaming up again i would love to see that but i like those three movies just kind of being their little own standalone thing no need to improve on it no need to you know add anything to it they they stand great as a 
there's a trilogy. They do, and uh, I, as I said, I'm a big Edgar Wright fan, and and, and I'm a big Sam Fagnett first fan. Um, but seeing the you know seeing Paul, which is um, a film Simon Fagnett first wrote together, but it's not involved in any way with Edgar Wright, and then seeing Zach Pilgrim versus the World, which is a film Edgar Wright directed without any assistance from them, it's really interesting because because the, their elements aren't there. They're just you get to see. You know, you get to see how fantastic Edgar Wright's directing skills are, which you saw at the beginning of the Shaun of the Day, which I didn't mention. But this, the way that he camera, the way he shifts, shifts the cameras around in the pub scene at the very beginning makes you realize this is actually a director of quite a bit of talent. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, it's, he's not just sort of, you know, let, resting the camera and just recording it from a wide point of view. He's giving you all these different angles and makes the camera movements funny with the, the sound effects and all a lot of zoom ins. Yeah. Uh, and what an outing for Simon Pegg and Nick, and Nick Frost as like their first big movie. And it was, I know it was a big hit over here, just a big breakout hit that, that really made them a household name there. Everybody yeah. knew Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, that duo, to the point when yeah. Hot Fuzz came out, everyone was like, oh, the Shaun of the Dead guys. Oh, I love that yeah. movie. Yeah. I remember going to see Hot Fuzz and being like with my friend, I went to see it with my friend Keith and like, do you think it will be able to hit the standard? Because not, not many films can not many people can recreate that magic and to be i feel like hot fuzz surpasses shawn mm-hmm. of the dead in some yeah. ways in terms of its i think story it did box office wise too yeah um, uh, and I, I like the idea that it's not hot fuzz on its own doesn't have a female romance mm-hmm. i hate these but i hate stories that feel like they have to wedge in a romantic story and it kind of feels very sort uh, of you know um, come to think of it it doesn't maybe that's another reason why it's so refreshing because yeah. a lot of movies get bogged down with uh, if you have a female lead and a male lead they have to end up together just because they're yeah. the two leads and it's like no you could have the, them the, well it's yeah. kind of replaced with like the budding bromance between Simon yeah. and nick frost absolutely and, like, that's their the relationship of the together, film. yeah and it's, it's, I guess the same way was yeah. at, at World's End too. I guess there wasn't a romance. What wait was there? I forgot. It was your girl. It was Rosemary. It was between us. Uh, one of the friends. I can't remember his name. He's played by Paddy Constantine. But um, I don't I even remember, remember the movie for that though. Uh, no, you don't. You don't. And I kind of like that. It kind of it's kind of refreshing that they kept those. You know, we did it once because Sean and Dad's a heavy emphasis on the fact that Sean and Liz and they're kind of a crux of the thing. Yeah. But they don't force it in with with hot fuzz, <laughs> which I really like. I like um, that they made Liz likable too. We understand you completely understand where liz comes from yes you You can understand a lot of rom-coms fall like in that the uh lead character kind of overshadows their romantic interests sometimes Mm -hmm. to the point where you don't even like the romantic interest yeah especially because she did the dumping yes but as you're sitting there and you're like no, this guy doesn't have his life together. You can completely understand why she. You kind of agree with her. She yeah. put it out on the table and say, "Hey, look, I need to move on with my life here. I need to get something going." And he's constantly promising her he'll change, and, yeah. and then it's they not... end up at the end. At the very end, they just go back to doing the same thing. They're a couple, but then they uh, back to the Winchester well, they, again. <laughs> yeah. They do live together at the end, which they didn't do. Yeah, but it's like it's like it, I don't know how long they're together, but they've been together for years in the film. Mm-hmm. But this idea that she's never met his mom, uh, which is hilarious. And, yeah, and, I think it was you know, our, uh, the film takes place. I think it's this uh, week after their three year anniversary. Yeah, is when and, yeah, because I think they said they met in Greece like two years ago. 
yeah, met in Greece two years ago, ago uh, and it's like we were met in, we were we went on holiday to Greece and they're like we met in Greece and at a rave you know yeah. and all this stuff and it's sort of like it, it just functions at this level this sort of rut level where you know this is the comfortability I live in and I don't exist I don't want to go any further than that um, which is very interesting and it's sort of the malaise and malaise of um, modern living um, it's kind of sending up uh, and I understand I feel I find it very interesting there's cycles that people get onto and sort yeah. of places in their life where they feel like they can't get out of they don't even think to get out of them and I think that's Sean's problem he doesn't have any problem with where he is in his life but everyone else does did, did Edgar Wright do any other horror movies uh, no um well, the new one apparently is a horror movie, Last Night in Soho. Oh, yeah. all right. Well, how about next time you come on, we'll talk about Last Night in Soho. We'll so, do a Last yeah. Night in Soho review. Sounds good. He did a, yeah. he did a, a one minute and a half trailer for Quentin Tarantino and Robert Regan's double feature, which was called Don't. And Don't. the trailer is a horror trailer um, for a film that's never going to be made. It's really cool. It, it's got some really cool actors <laughs> yeah. in it and it's really fantastic effects. And I really, it's on YouTube. Watch it. It's great. You're, it's the film you want to see, but you can't see it because it's never going to be. It's the, the best <laughs> yeah. film you'll never be able to see (laughs) funny story about hot fuzz i tried to go sneak in to see that movie in the theater Mm -hmm. and got caught and had to end up watching a movie called the invisible which was um have y'all ever seen that no no (laughs) there's a reason (laughs) i wish i didn't It, it was it was a melodramatic thing about a guy who died i mean the premise sounds interesting the guy died and he's kind of semi dead and his spirit is kind of in this thing where only one girl can see him and he's trying to lead her to his body yeah which sounds interesting but god that was a boring movie especially knowing that i could have been watching hot fuzz yeah because i got caught by the by the usher people i was because the way i did it was i bought a ticket for the invisible Mm -hmm. and then i was gonna be like all right this starts around roughly the same time as Hot Fuzz. So let me get these two tickets, get into the theater, and then figure out which theater Hot Fuzz is playing in, and then just go into that theater. And I, I went right when I should have went left because it, the Hot Fuzz was on the complete opposite side of the theater, and the and the attendants were looking at us, obviously not knowing where, like looking around, <laughs> trying to figure out, all right, where is the? Can we help you? Where's your ticket? And yeah. they're like, oh, your movie theater's right here. And I'm like, oh yeah, thank you. And so then we ended up having which sucks because I had snuck in and saw Hot Fuzz earlier, but this time I was going to go see it with a friend, so I knew exactly what I was missing. Yeah, <laughs> you knew how good it was. Yeah. As best film that came out that year, I remember that, for example. That was my feeling on it when I watched it. Yeah. The interesting thing about there is sort of horror elements in it, the whole sort of society that's in Hot yeah. Fuzz, it's like a cult. <laughs> yeah. um, the bit where he gets, you know, and meets them and they keep saying greater good, even though it's funny, it's also kind of creepy. Yeah. That is a, that's supposed to be like a reference to a, another movie, but I don't know what. But well, I feel it's a very invasion of the body snatchers, yeah. which we really talked about, but I find it's very like all these people acting sort of brain dead and kind of hypnotized. Um, I just love how he had like this whole motive and plan laid out for while they were doing it. Was like, no, no. These exactly. people are just ruining the town. Yeah, I love. I, 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 I do I, love that. It's great. I yeah, just the, there was no, there's no real big. The fact that you have this giant conspiracy and underground people of murderers <laughs> because they want to win the town of the year award. 
Yes, and it's interesting because it's mentioned at the very beginning of the film by like one of the chief inspectors that sends um, Nicholas there, yeah. and he he says he just says it in a flipping comment. You know, it's won it so many times because it doesn't matter to them because it only matters to the people that are killing all these people in the film um, yeah. which is very interesting it's a great film but it's all set up in the moment where the chief inspector he says you can't make people disappear and I go, and he replies I can I'm the chief inspector and that's the whole film in one thing you get it at the very beginning but it works apparently they had the script for both sides so if you chose to believe in the conspiracy that Nicholas Angel that works like legitimately if you do it, if you write it out, it all works because yeah. the idea was that Agatha Christie like plot. We have two side by side stories working on. The uh, funny thing about uh, this trilogy of movies is that it's hilarious, and you're sitting there laughing for a good like 30 minutes of the movie 30, 40 minutes. And then mm-hmm. something happens that reminds you, oh, yeah, this is a rated R movie. Yeah. Th- th- yeah. That I remember that the scene in Hot Fuzz was when that giant spear thing from the top of that building fell and crushed that dude's head and yeah. caved his skull and all the blood and gore. In that. And it's so over the top and and violent that I, you're like, oh, that's right. This is this is uh, the same guy who did Shaun of the Dead and yeah. <laughs> that had a guy get torn apart in the movie at the very end. Yeah. Rip, uh, the David got ripped apart. Yeah, it's class. Um, so and all the wee in jokes and stuff that are peppered throughout, like a traffic collision. Uh, well, the reason oh, why yeah, they're having it, to keep saying it's a, it's a collision, not an accident. <laughs> accident, there's no one to blame, yeah. and, you know, uh, it's really cla- it's just it's so smart. It's yeah. such a smart film again. We're you know they take themselves seriously. It's not jokes for jokes' sake. It's all intelligent. That's why it should never be a drinking game to like drink for every time. There's like all the in jokes that get repeated because you will be on the floor by the end. Of the right. Try try drinking during Mortal's End. Every time they took a sip of a pint, we had to take a shot. And uh, mm-hmm. um, oh, <laughs> like, you took shots every time they took sips. Yes. Oh, f- <laughs> you guys are the... you guys are Irish. that was the irish and scottish crowd so yeah i I thought my mine used to be back in the day uh the movie beer fest used to be my friends and i uh, i love that movie the i don't even know i've never heard of that oh you never heard beer fest uh that's uh that's that's pretty fun that's a that's a fun little drinking one it's all about you've heard of oktoberfest yeah, Oktoberfest is like the kiddie pool compared to beer fest. Beer fest is where the big boys go and have all their drinking. They play the quarters. They play. Yeah. It is like the X Games of drinking, basically. Yeah. Have you ever seen uh, Super Troopers? It's the same people. Same cast. All right, right. So that's theirs. Oh, is it Broken Lizard? Yeah, Broken Lizard. They Broken have Lizard. Dread, beer fest, and uh, Super Troopers. To the point where at the very beginning of beer fest, they had to put a disclaimer and said, if you consume the amount of alcohol that these guys are drinking, like in this movie, you will die. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> he says that's good. It's like, oh, nice little warning. I'll, I'll, you and your warnings. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. There may be something there is true to the whole sort of stereotype that Irish people like to drink. I was just joking <laughs> because when I when I went out with my Scottish friends, my Scottish friends were like, "You're Irish, so this is the first time we've ever had you out. We're going to pay for everything you drink, and we're going to see how much you can drink." Mm-hmm. And I think 175 pound was spent on my tab at the end of the night, <laughs> and, and they were on the floor. Which is which either and at the very end of the day, even if you even if you <laughs> only drank like a couple of drinks, or whatever, you, they still paid for your drinks. <laughs> yeah, why would I? You know, why would I not say that? But uh, right. the end of the end of the night, they were on the floor, and I was still standing. So an Irish one there against the Scottish. 
<laughs> I was I was trying to do everything I can to not like delve into like Irish stereotypes, but then you sent that message saying, "All right, we'll be talking about Shaun of the Dead. I'll be on the whiskey." Yeah, so I, was, well, I, I did think we were, I thought we were going to be starting at eight, so I don't. I didn't have the chance to pre- to prepare my drink, so I'm oh, not sure. that, that's <laughs> what we kind of figured that it was probably like uh, the time difference is probably just a yeah. little bit off. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, but uh, the one thing I was wanted to say about Shaun of the Dead that's interesting. I well, I find it interesting is there's a bit in it where they flip through channels and they're offering all these explanations for why the zombies. Uh, yeah. That was, I, was I like that one. Yeah. Yeah. And they reference you know they reference rage viruses, which is 28 days later. They reference a comet, which is the Night of the Living Dead series, mm-hmm. and, re- yeah. and some people say it's just the rapture. But then it switched off, and I and you're never given the definite answer why it happens yeah. and the reason i think that is is because all the zombie films that come out tend to fall into this story hole of trying to explain why where Shaun of the dead just says by switching off that tv says that's we're not about this mm-hmm. we're about nick we're about simon the why is not the yeah. story here yeah exactly. it's about these slackers and seeing what they're going to do the bit where they um decide the best course of action is to pretend to be a zombie and walk through a crowd of zombies yeah. and that's the best thing and nobody questions like why it works it just yeah. it just does yeah. yeah that's what i get bogged down in my writing is that i feel like i have to express explain everything but it's yeah. like no you don't have to explain everything just figure out find out what's important to the story and just stick with mm-hmm. that yeah yeah like um there is a real like um there's certain stories like off in the dead girls which is part of my collection and that's a very sort of close to the reality as you can write um interpretation of what would happen in that situation so that's why i try to keep it back but i try to i get bogged down i think the older you get the more your imagination wilts and uh the more you sort of realize or you think about situations as what if that really happened what you know would and like no it doesn't matter what really happened because it's a fiction if people are willing to suspend their disbelief to uh, at this point then just mm. keep, just keep going with it they, they're yeah. already reading a fictional book so have either of you read the trick-or-treat story because i could tell say something about that but it would spoil it uh, uh, i didn't got to that one not yet. yet that was that was one since it's near the beginning that i usually will probably end up being one of the last ones i read yeah all right well i can spoil it if you want but... spoil it go ahead i'll read Go-ahead, it anyway yeah well, the, the, the premise of, uh, one of the premises of Trick or Treat, one of the figure, uh, things that features in it is uh, it's about a monster that needs to be invited in, a vampire that knocks on your door and needs to be invited in and and does so. But it's but the woman that is in the house, the main character, Jane Conway, it's all set up in a realistic way that even though this thing is a supernatural entity that shouldn't exist, but does for the context of the story, her reaction to it is all very much in sort of the kind of as grounded as you could possibly think to be so it's sort of it's a nice sort of contrast i think for that story in that the reaction that the main character has to this creature is very much based in realism and um and i think there's sort of an interesting thing in that story where the practical way she goes about um kicking its ass Mm -hmm. um it were i think there's it just works and i think so having sometimes being completely balls to the wall imaginative and fiction works and sometimes that sort of practical kind of grounded realism also has a really good purpose uh and a really good effect on um something really weird hang on a sec because that's i think it's very spooky to have like one thing in your story that's just like out there and really subversive and really sort of strange like the existence of a vampire but everything else around it it's just normality and that's the kind of freaky thing about it because you do need to have very much like the straight it's like having the straight man in the uh in the movie that the eccentric character seems more eccentric off of because you need to have that normalcy so that the fantastic seems more fantastic 
Yeah, like yeah. Um, Nick Frost's character in The World's End. He's very much a straight man compared to Simon, who's now allowed to be like this boisterous, uh, drunk character, you know, yeah. um, you know that he is in the film, which is a different thing for Nick Frost, which I really like seeing him as in that film. I like to think that that uh, Simon Pegg character was Sean if the zombie apocalypse never happened and he still broke up with Liz and he just hung out with Ed for the rest of his life. That That's probably how he would have turned out. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, I imagine the same thing. Yeah. All right, so I got two questions real quick. One is random and one is to bring it around. <laughs> During that scene where they were, uh, where he was flipping through the channels, mm-hmm. do you know who or what that song was or who it was sung by when it was singing Panic on the Streets of London? Uh, it's a Morrissey song. It's a Morrissey song. All right. I think it's the Smith. Okay. And uh, I was going to go ahead and bring it around to Kill Kills there, Dave. I just have uh, one question. It's kind of about UK horror. Mm-hmm. What's uh, like a UK horror that people out in the states might not know about but probably should watch uk horror film yeah like i'm a big fan of the film fox trap that came out in like 2015 mm-hmm. i found that on shutter but a lot of people out here don't watch uk films why do you think that is because we watch everything of yours i don't know <laughs> i already embarrassed myself by mentioning those movies earlier and saying they were uk films and he's like yeah but they were warner brothers <laughs> i was like well <laughs> i don't know like i enjoy a lot of like the uk stuff like well like danny boyle a lot yeah. of danny boyle stuff like has a lot of very, in the same way that horror sort of pushes the boundaries of comfortability, like Sunshine, which is a sci-fi thing, Mm -hmm, which is all set in space. It's a fantastic film. Trance is another film of his. It's a later film that probably doesn't get much respect that it deserves, but I I really like it. It's kind of- Did y'all like Trainspotting? I haven't seen Trainspotting. Trainspotting is pretty good. uh, It has Robert Carlyle and uh, I think James McAvoy. Uh, I think Ewan McGregor. I I always get those two mixed up. Ewan McGregor's in it. It's all about heroin and all that business. It was a pretty good movie. I I recommend it. You asked for the first thing that came to mind was Dog Soldiers. It's a UK horror film. It's set in the glens of Scotland and it's about this SAS group that are on and training. And... um, so they're training, so they don't have live ammunition, but they have to parachute into these glens. And there's another team that's supposed to be there, and uh, they're ready. They find them and they rip to shreds, which they're not supposed okay. to be because it's just. Yeah. And it's it's in the vein of Shaun of the Dead, but it doesn't have the comedy. It's called Dog Soldiers. Dog Soldiers. I, 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 yeah. I liked it. I thought it was good. I good yeah. Good. So you want us to go ahead and bring it around to kills there, Dave? Yeah. How about instead that. of. Because at the end, we usually like to talk about the kill of the movie. What was your favorite kill? What was your favorite uh, death in the movie? How about we don't do kill of the movie just specifically for Shaun of the Dead, but for, how about for the entire Edgar Wright trilogy? Is there a death that was like really cool to you? You've already mentioned the guy that gets the the, the church tar spike in his head is a really cool death. Um, yeah. So it is. In Shaun of the Dead, it's got to be David being torn to pieces. Oh, yeah, because yeah. I think everybody but, was like, oh, good, that guy's out of here. Right. <laughs> there's, there's another great death in that film. It's maybe not as good, but um, we never mentioned in Shaun of the Dead, there's three flatmates, and there's another guy who's got his life sorted out. And feet, he, yeah. Uh, oh, he, feet. He turns into a zombie, and when they kill him with the, sh- the shot to the face, mm-hmm. that is yeah. a fantastic death. That's and Pete was also with, another yeah. one where it's like they paint him as an asshole, but it's like, yeah, but come on now. I mean, a lot of what he's saying is justified. <laughs> right. Nick is uh, Nick Frost's character is living there pretty much rent free, doesn't do any of the housework, and refuses to get a job. And he's playing loud music and not and leaving the door open, not taking down messages, leaving the house a wreck. Yeah, I, you can understand why he's angry. You can. I don't think I can't think of one in, in the world's end. I can't think of a death. 
Because some of them, a lot of them happen off screen. What so. about you there, Dave? Like, I'd say mine's probably that, that spike to the head just because uh, it was just yeah. completely blatant and reminded me of it was a rated R movie when I was, you know, everyone's laughing and then just, and then just. Well, mine is what I thought was going to be a death, but evidently the guy survived when he shot the bear trap and it landed on the guy's face. Yeah. Oh, all those guys oh. survived. All those people yeah. survived, which I thought Even was hilarious. Even though it was a kill, but I, I still love that part. I was just didn't so, see that one coming, yeah. As violent as Shaun of the Dead was when he did all of that stuff, Angel didn't kill anybody. Well, maybe with a landmine at the end, but maybe yeah. I, th- that, I think that dude probably died. But That was accident. That was an that yeah. was a He tripped as over as, and landed on yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, as far as Nick was concerned, he thought that was a dud member, so yeah. he wouldn't think it was But working. he himself didn't kill anybody. Everybody just got horribly maimed. Yeah. <laughs> But thanks again for recommending this one. I, I hadn't seen Shaun of the Dead in a long time. I'm, I was happy to yeah. remind myself not only that Shaun of the Dead exists, but so did the rest of the trilogy. Yeah. yeah and it's a great watch, yeah. Great. So it's Baby Driver, all that stuff. It's all great. So I don't oh, think yeah. he's been a bad film. Edgar Wright's really good. And you have to come on the show at least again so we can talk about Last Night in Soho. Yeah, I'll be yeah. up for that. Right. If anything, we have an opening coming up in a couple of weeks since. Uh, well, we got Thomas Gloom next week. That's for sure. Thomas Gloom next week. Yeah. I guess that wraps it up here at the Body Bag Podcast. I'd like to thank our special guest again, Jamie Stewart, for being here on the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here, man. And we hope to see him again. And everybody, go check him out. You want to give your social one more time so they can find you? Um, jamie.stewart.33 on IG. You'll be able to find any of my writing stuff that I'm currently promoting or going to put out. There's going to be stuff coming next year, quite a bit, hopefully. So, And in the meantime, if it's already starting to be Christmassy over in your area, just, you know, bunker down for the next two and a half months because it's going to be nothing but Christmas music. Or at least over yeah. here in the States, it's going to be. Right. The, the second, I don't know, because this drops the week after Halloween, so probably by this time, it'll only be two days after Halloween. I guarantee you they'll be doing Christmas music in my area. Oh, they've, already, they've already got Christmas stuff in the shops here. Before yeah, Halloween. same here. All I Want for Christmas by Mariah Carey is going to be playing everywhere. Everywhere. Yep. This, this is the season where Mariah Carey makes her money. Mm-hmm. So. But in the meantime, I've been Chris Thomas. Broke Rider Dave here. And uh, thanks again, Jamie. Thank you. Thank you.